that you need. Welcome to our service this morning. I'm a last-minute substitute, but uh, here we are in God's providence, and uh, we join together to worship Him, and let's do so now, singing to His praise the words from Scottish Psalter number 122. One, two, two, I joyed. When to the house of God go up, they said to me, Jerusalem, within thy gates, our feet shall standing be. Let's rise if you're able, and we'll sing. <coughs> I joy. together in prayer. Let's pray. Lord of heaven and earth, we thank you that we are found together here on this another Lord's Day. And however we came, we pray that before we leave, we may know that joy the joy of going up to the house of God 
the joy coming down from the house of God. We thank you for the compaction of the city of God. It is compact because the people of God are compacted together. They are close together, drawn with that love from which nothing in all creation can separate them, the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we thank you for that testimony of Israel, of your people. And we thank you that thrones of judgment, even the thrones of David's house, the thrones of the royal of the of royalty of majesty are present in this place lord we thank you for bringing us here and we pray that uh, according to your promise you will be here with us and meet with us and bless us we pray for those who are not able to be with us and we thank you that uh, so many can join with us online and we thank you for that great facility. It is no substitute but it is a still a means of blessing. It is a means of grace. So we thank you for being here. We thank you for each and every one, from the youngest to the oldest. We thank you for the voice of children, for the sound of children. And we ask, Lord, that you will bless them and their families and every home and family represented here today. And so, as we continue together... We pray that we may know the presence and power of your Holy Spirit bringing your word, not just in word only, but in power and in conviction to our minds and hearts, young and old. Hear us and when you hear, forgive. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, I don't know, boys and girls, if we're going to get any pictures on the screen, are we? No. Oh, yes, look. Can anyone tell me what that is? Or where that picture is from? No, that's not the one that I was hoping would be. There'll be another one, is it? Oh, sorry, can you go back then? Yes, that's, yeah, that's the one. That's from Cairngorm, isn't it? Yes? Yeah, you've been there. No. <laughs> Hands up those who've been there, on the top of Cairngorm. No? Well, let me tell you, you don't have to walk there, because there's a railway going up there, isn't there? There's a funicular railway. If that's the right picture, I think it is, yes. So anyway, that's the top of the mountain. It's beautiful. What a view you get from the top of the mountains. And you know, we're going to be thinking about Jesus and his disciples on the top of a mountain today. And in Mark chapter 9, uh, we have... Uh, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. They led him up a high mountain. Jesus liked to go up onto mountains and to pray. And what a view you get from a mountain. But the next picture is even higher, and it's from a plane. Now, how many of you have been in a plane? Yes? Have you been in a plane? No, not yet. Right. Well, when you go in a plane, that's a picture that was taken by my grandson, Jack. Jack is 13 now, and they were at Euro Disney. 
Paris and when they were flying there he took a he took a picture from the window of the plane and that's higher than being up a mountain but he took a picture looking down if he had taken a picture looking up what would it be? because you see he's above the clouds so if he took a picture looking up it would be what color would it be? blue it would be the blue sky without a cloud and it would just keep going on and no matter how far he would look just looking away up into space higher and higher you know I remember one evening flying from Kirkwell to Lerwick from Orkney to Shetland and when we went up through the clouds and the sun was setting and the sky was red in the west and it was just you, there was not a cloud above and you know I thought of a verse from the Bible in Ephesians 4 verse 10 and if we can have that verse on the screen if not we'll read it he who ascended is the one who also as he who descended he who came down is the one who also ascended, who went up far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And as you look way up in the sky, into, you think, Jesus is everywhere. He fills the whole world, fills all the sky, fills heaven with his presence. He is everywhere. And you know, I sat on that plane that evening and I thought, this is wonderful. Jesus is here and he is everywhere. And he, he came down to this world and now he's gone far above all the heavens. So, you have these wonderful thoughts on the mountains, in the plain, up high, you think of Jesus. We're going to sing now Psalm 121. I to the hills will lift mine eyes, from whence doth come mine aid. My safety cometh from the Lord, who heaven and earth hath made. So let's stand if we can, and we'll sing these words together.
today is from the second letter of Peter. Second Peter, chapter 1. Second Peter, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement, to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly, with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to, to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we, have the, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so this is God's word for us today. And God will bless the reading and hearing of his own word. We sing again from Psalm 34, the Sing Psalms version of Psalm 34. At all times I will bless the Lord. I'll praise him with my voice. Because I glory in the Lord, let troubled souls rejoice. Psalm 34, verses 1 to 9. At all times 
I will bless the Lord. before God in prayer before we turn to God's word together they look to him and shine with joy they are not put to shame Lord we look to you and we pray that you would look upon us and that you would cause your face to shine upon us you would bless us and pity us and shine on us with your face so that as we go from here we may reflect something of the light of the knowledge of your glory in the face of Christ for this is what this dark world needs and this is what our darkened hearts need Lord that you would cause that light to shine we bless you that you are the one the creator God and that you are engaged in this new creation that we of which we are representatives here how amazing that should be and we thank you Lord that we can come to your word and find there the the story of your new creation and may we all find ourselves in that great story that has a beginning in our experience but that began in eternity and that will go on throughout the endless ages of eternity give us Lord that song to sing today worthy is the lamb who was slain 
to receive all honor and glory. We pray, Lord, for the communities in which you have placed us in your providence, and we ask, Lord, that uh, you would bring people to see, as you brought Laban to see, that his, the presence of Jacob, that he learned from experience that for his sake he was blessed. And that communities would learn from such experience of the presence of your people that they are blessed and that they would seek that blessing uh, for themselves. Lord, remember your church in our land, throughout our land. We pray, Lord, that you would prosper your cause. We are in a dark place. We have brought ourselves into this dark place. But we pray, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. And so we pray for the peace and prosperity of your church throughout our land. We pray for those in authority over us as you have placed them in authority. May they receive that wisdom from above in order that they may recognize and acknowledge that their authority is not the ultimate authority, but that you have given all authority in heaven and on earth to Jesus Christ, your Son. This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him, O Lord, that we would listen to him. Bless our King and the royal family. And again, Lord, may the gracious memory of our late Queen not be lost to that family, but that it would be increasingly blessed to them. We pray, Lord, for the, uh, your church throughout the world and your church suffering persecution. We pray for your people in Nigeria as they, uh, many of them uh, uh, give their lives for the testimony of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you will... Uh, <coughs> that you will give recognition of this to the nation, that there may be order and government, good government, and that the, the, the enemy seeking to gain territory that belongs to your people, that they may be restrained and defeated. And we pray for all such enemies throughout the world. We remember the nation of Ukraine and we just pray for your church there. Thank you for their witness and the way you are blessing their witness there. And we pray, Lord, that you will subdue the oppressor and bring peace and justice to that nation and the nations of the world. Lord, we remember your church in China and your church in other parts of the world where uh, your people today are gathering in fear and where their churches are being destroyed. But we thank you that their faith can never be destroyed and that their love for you is indestructible, that at last their lives are indestructible because their faith and ours is in the one who lives in the power of an indestructible life. We, uh, so we uh, continue, Lord, here together, and we thank you that we are here, and we pray that you would open your word to us now and open our minds and our hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to think about the mountain of transfiguration today and the account of that in Luke chapter 9 
and from verse 28. Now about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain, went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. We began by singing, I joyed when to the house of God go up, they said to me. When the Jews went to worship, they went up. And so do we. We go up to the house of God. And so in a sense, we're on a mountain today. We're in a high place. Bunyan, in his Pilgrim's Progress, he has a place uh, to which uh, Christian and hopeful arrive on their pilgrim journey to the celestial city. And it's called Delectable Mountains. Delectable, delightful, enjoyable mountain experience. The pilgrims, Christian and hopeful, had been kept prisoners in Doubting Castle, kept there by giant despair. And they'd been kept there from Wednesday morning until Saturday night. And giant despair... Uh, was misusing them he, he was beating them and also not just beating their bodies but beating their minds and telling them and all the suffering that was going to come their way and that their life at last was hopeless and that the best thing for them in the end was to end their own lives and at midnight they pray and Christian remembers that he has a key called promise. And that key he takes, he says, out from his bosom. And he discovers that it opens all the doors and the gates to release them from Doubting Castle. And so they escape. Giant despair wakens up and realizes that he's skipping and he goes to, to pursue them. But he discovers that he is powerless. Because Christian is on his way to freedom on the strength of this promise. He has the key of promise that will open every door and every gate to freedom from Doubting Castle. And so they escape, and they come to the place called Delectable Mountains. And I think what uh, Bunyan is presenting here is Sunday, the Lord's Day, in the church. His description, because you see they've been prisoner from Wednesday to Midnight on Saturday night, and that's when they pray, and that's when they remember the key of promise that effects their release. 
And Bunyan describes the delectable mountains, gardens and orchards, the vineyards and fountains of water, where also they drank and washed themselves, and did freely eat of the vineyards. Now there were on the tops of the mountains shepherds feeding their flocks, and they stood by the highway side. And the pilgrims therefore went to them, and they asked, Christian asks, Whose delectable mountains are these, and whose be the sheep that feed on them? And the shepherds reply, These mountains are Emmanuel's land, and they are within sight of his city, and the sheep also are his, and he laid down his life for them. And then Christian asks, Is this the way to the celestial city? And the shepherds, You are just in your way. Welcome to the delectable mountains. And the shepherds whose name were, interestingly, shepherds whose name were knowledge, experience, watchful, and sincere, took them by the hand and led them to their tents and made them partake of what was ready at present. See the picture of the shepherds are the ministers in the church, the preachers, and the, those who have care for the souls of the pilgrims. And they, they made them partake of what was ready at present. And the shepherds say, We would that you should stay here for a while, to be acquainted with us, and yet more to solace yourselves with the good of these delectable mountains. And they told them that they were content to stay. So they went to bed that night, because it was very late. A Lord's Day church experience. Good for us to be here, Peter said to Jesus on the mountain. And it is good for us that we find ourselves here today. Now Matthew says uh, he kind of locates the, the place as the region of Caesarea Philippi, uh, which could, it's not certain, but could make this mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Hermon, which features a lot in Scripture, and Mount Hermon, uh, we read there, Mark uh, said that he took them on a high mountain. Mount Hermon is 9,000 feet high. That's almost three times the height of Cairngorm, twice the height of Ben Nevis. A very high mountain. And the time is eight days after these sayings. And these sayings are the sayings of verse 20 he said to them who do you say that I am and Peter answered the Christ of God and then he says in verse 27 I tell you truly there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God and what they see on the top of the mountain is the glory of the kingdom of God. That mountain became, becomes three things. It becomes a mountain of prayer, a mountain of presentation, and a mountain of proclamation. A mountain of prayer. Jesus, we're told, took with him Peter and James and John, Peter and John and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. It, this becomes a place where earth and heaven meet, and that changes. As he, that changes, as he was praying, his face, other translations say that the appearance of his face becomes as bright as the sun and his clothes as lightning. Matthew says, he was transfigured before them. 
They're up there in the mountain and he's praying. And he's transfigured before them. There's an outward change that is produced from within, from inside, as he's praying. They have a view that is surely a delectable mountain view. And it's a view of prayer. And the church is a mountain of prayer. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. A mountain of prayer. A high place of prayer. And it is the most beautiful, powerful experience on earth to be in such a place. To be on such a mountain. To hear and to join with the people of God in prayer. It's where earth and heaven meet. The shepherds in the delectable mountains, knowledge, experience, watchful, sincere, and all of these realized in the mountain of prayer. In prayer, there's a shining that's produced. There's an inner creation taking place. A creation of God himself. You know the creation, the new creation that's described uh, just like the creation of the universe. There's a new creation. We're part of that new creation. If anyone is in Christ, that one is a new creation. And Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. For God who said, going back to Genesis 1, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. In the face of Christ, in the presence of Christ, brought to see Jesus. Remember the Greeks who came and they said, Sir, we would see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And brought by God to see Jesus. And that produces a light that shines inside and from inside outside. My father used to speak of his uncle John, whom he admired greatly. And uh, John would be at times herding the cattle. And my father and his brothers would, uh, be go, they would go to, they loved spending time with John. And they would be, make their way to where he was. But before they would go over the hill, they would hear his voice. And he would be either singing a Gaelic psalm or he'd be in Gaelic praying. And they knew they knew exactly what it was. And they would stop and they would listen and they wouldn't go too near him. They wouldn't disturb him. But they would listen to John. And they would wait a while. And then when John would come back on his way home, my father would say, you would see the light shining in his face. He had been with God on the mountain of prayer. And praise to the mountain of prayer. Brought to see Jesus. Remember Moses when he came down from the mountain and his face shone. But he covered his face because he knew that that glory was fading. And he, we're told that he covers, he put a veil on his face to prevent the people seeing that glory fading. But this glory will never fade. The glory of the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Christ we shall see him as he is and be like him we shall see his face that's the glorious prospect now the Lord is the spirit whenever one turns to the Lord 2 Corinthians 3.16 the veil is taken away the veil that covers our heart that dark veil that covers our heart by nature is taken away and the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom there's a release of the heart and we all who with unveiled open faces contemplate the Lord's glory 
are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The removal of the covering over the heart that produces a shining of the face. That's a beautiful, a beautiful thing, the shining of the Christian face. There's a freedom in that face. Wearsby writes this, Prayer is one of the keys to a transformed life. The house of prayer is the place for that transformed life to be revealed and empowered. Mountain of prayer. Mountain, secondly, of presentation and of presence. Behold, two men... Two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Two men in the splendor of glory. Personal, individual, standing, talking, men who had died hundreds of years ago. And they're separated by 600 years in time, 1500 years since Moses had died, 900 years since Elijah had died. And there they are, alive, together, in eternity, with a glorious future. There's a presentation of heaven here. Two men recognized as Moses and Elijah. So this presentation of heaven are two men and Jesus with his face and his whole being shining brighter than the sun. And then there's three that are a presentation of earth. There's Peter, James, and John. And I believe that that number is significant in terms of witness and the authority of witness. In Second Peter, when Peter is referring to this, he says, uh, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He doesn't say, I was an eyewitness. We were an eyewitness, and that can be verified by another two who were along with me. Witness authority. And there's a presentation here of persons and their conversation. A presentation of persons who are in glory and whose presence has been presented here on this mountain that becomes a meeting point between heaven and earth. This mountain of prayer becomes a mountain of presentation. And the subject of heavenly conversation is salvation accomplished by sacrifice. They spoke of, they appeared in glory, and they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The conversation and the song of heaven is about salvation accomplished by sacrifice. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Now, neither Moses nor Elijah or Peter, James and John were strangers to sacrifice and to the story and of sacrifice and exodus. Moses practically, remember the Passover instituted, the Passover lamb, but he knew all will be fulfilled by Christ's death, Christ's accomplishment, Elijah, prophetically, remember, on Mount Carmel, when he said the God who would show his acceptance of the sacrifice by fire was the true God. And again, all that fulfilled in Christ's resurrection and his coming, coming of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated came to rest on each of them. And there's the prayer on the mountain and there's a presentation 
of persons in glorious splendor with Jesus. And you see, it's the departure of Jesus, which he was about to accomplish in his death and resurrection at Jerusalem, in his death that would that made it all possible. It was the the sacrifice of Jesus that made it possible for Moses and Elijah to live in glory. Because it was that sacrifice through that because of that sacrifice that they received eternal life. But then verse thirty two we're brought down to earth as it were. Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. They were heavy with sleep. I would say I'm not surprised. 9,000 feet they had to climb. That's a long way. I think I like to see their sleep and Jesus' wake. We've seen, we see it again in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he's in prayer and in his great agony and they're asleep, they can't handle it, they haven't got the strength. But we see something of the physical strength of Jesus and it's important that we see him in this way. He was no weakling. He was physically strong. We can see that too when he goes into the temple and he overturns the tables and he wasn't physically weak, he was strong. But there's something else here. There's a higher ascent for men here on this mountain because there's the atmosphere of the kingdom of God. There's the powerful atmosphere of the kingdom of God that is heavy on any man's physical strength. It's what was above the heavens. But Peter feels he's about to miss this amazing experience. So they're waking up and they become fully awake and they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. But then it's about to end because the men were parting from him and Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. It was a delectable mountain. It was a great mountain to be on. It was Emmanuel's land. It was as if it was in sight of his city. And Peter says, let's make tents for you and for Moses and from Elijah to stay here. Keep these men from glory here with us. Because we've got a lot of questions to ask these men from glory. This is a great opportunity for us. Here's two men who have been in heaven all these hundreds of years. Man, what questions we have for them. You know, he didn't know what he was saying. Well, that's often the same with us. But you see, there's no fault. He's not faulted. He just, they didn't know what he was saying. Because... He thought this was the best it could be. That these men from glory, these men from heaven now, on top of this mountain, and he could ask them all these questions and get all that information on what it was like. What's it like there? You've been there that long. What's it like? But the greater good was not more questions of the men from glory. The greater good was more of Jesus, because he is the way to glory. And that was what they needed and what we need more and more of. And so the mountain becomes a mountain of proclamation. Peter didn't know what he was saying, but God knew what to say. And God always knows what to say. And so the glory cloud of the presence of God surrounds them, a cloud of his presence. And they're afraid. And every reason to be afraid, because that's a powerful experience. And they're entering the near presence of God. And uh, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen 
to him. He's the one to listen to. Yes, you want to ask questions of the men from the glory, from the heaven. But this is the one that you need to listen to. The voice of revelation and, conf- and, and, and confirmation. Remember the week before, Jesus asks, who do, you, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ of God, the chosen of God. And here is that confirmed by God himself. And that's the great experience of the mountain, of the mountain top, the mountain experience of the church. And you know, I think the great prayer, as we come to church, Psalm 119, verse 38, Confirm to me thy gracious word, which I did gladly hear, even to thy servant, Lord, who is devoted to thy fear. You know, we want, we need this word of his grace confirmed to us over and over and over again. And at least once every week as we come together on the mountain. You know, the mountain used to speak of Communion Sunday as the Mount of Ordinances. Well, this is a mountain. Every Lord's Day is a mountain. A mountain of proclamation. Confirm to me thy gracious word. We come. Everyone comes. We all come and we say, we come with that same prayer. Confirm to me the word of your grace. Confirm it over and over and over again. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Yes, Lord. I will gladly hear. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. David Gooding in his commentary writes, With the coming of the voice, Jesus was found alone. The lawgiver and the prophet had gone. For all their eminence they were but men. Their role in history had been preparatory to the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Christ. Now that he had come, they retired. The actual redemption of the world would depend on Christ and on Christ alone. And so the hymn writer wrote, In Christ alone my hope is found. Confirmed by proclamation before witnesses, but not yet for sharing. Verse 36 again. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and told no one in these days anything of what they had seen. They kept silent, and they didn't tell anyone. Uh, It's not yet for sharing. And Matthew tells us, Matthew 17, verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And Mark, he, he, he tells us, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead until his departure had been accomplished the departure that was being spoken that was spoken of as by the ones who appeared in glory on the top of the mountain until that had been accomplished and then Mark tells us they kept the matter to themselves discussing what rising from the dead meant you know what a great discussion to have coming down the mountain, coming from church, going out into the world, this rising from the dead. What does it mean? What does it mean to us? What does it mean for us? What does it mean for the whole world? He is risen. Uh, Alan Fraser uh, sends out by email to us at Ferentosh and Rosales uh, prayer notes every week. And at the bottom, underlining these, these words, he is risen. And to him is given all authority in heaven and on earth. That's the underlining. That's the bottom line of every prayer. And the bottom line of every preaching. The bottom line of every mountain. As we on the mountain today. 
a good discussion to have coming down the mountain. What does it mean? Rising from the dead. Resurrection power. What is that about? A good discussion to have. A discussion of life that will never end. But they would soon know. And from the next mountain, which God willing we look at this evening, the mountain of commission, they would go and tell the world, which by God's grace, God's grace has included us. And so Peter says to us, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Lord, we bless you for the completely reliable message of Scripture to which we do well to pay attention. We thank you that it is a light shining in a dark place, but there is a day which will dawn and the morning star will rise in every heart from which you have caused the light of the knowledge of your glory in the face of Christ to shine. To him be all honor and glory. Amen. Let's close by singing together words from the Scottish Psalter, version of Psalm 63. Lord, thee my God, I'll early seek, my soul doth thirst for thee. My flesh longs in a dry parched land, wherein no waters be, that I thy power may behold, and brightness of thy face, as I have seen thee heretofore within thy holy place. If you're able, please rise and sing. <coughs>
Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit,